Sam nailed it, right? That was so good. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm not sure what your expectations are of the day, but I want to share with you some of mine. Uh, I came today with an expectation of worshiping God, of experiencing God uh, through, through the gathering together of the saints and the proclamation of the word. I came today with an expectation that God is going to set us free by the power of his word and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I came with a big expectation. I hope that your heart joins me with an expectation that God is going to meet us in this place. What do you say? You ready for that? Three of you are awesome. Come on. Are we ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, Pastor Matt, he set up uh, some context around where we're going. We're in Romans chapter 2 today. And as, as you're turning there, I want to share with you that Romans is like, like this is uh, an exciting place. And it's also a very dangerous place. The church at this point is now being kicked out of the synagogues. They're no longer meeting in the synagogues. They have to meet independent of their friends and family who used to welcome them in. But they're talking about Jesus, Yeshua as the Messiah, and it was not okay anymore. And so they kicked him out. And then the Roman Empire said, well, hey, wait a minute. What about these Jews that are meeting outside of the synagogue? And the, and the Jews said, those aren't Jews. They said, well, well, what do you mean? They said, well, wait a minute. Those aren't just not Jews. They're also celebrating this Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords above Caesar. And they said, well, that's not okay. And they began to persecute the church. They began to persecute in some big ways. Now, what that, might mean, what that meant specifically, though, are many things. One of those things is that the church then begins to protect itself. It starts to go underground. And it wants to protect itself. And there are these people that are they're kind of coming in. They're coming in with new ideas and new experiences. And some of them have Jewish backgrounds. And some of them have pagan backgrounds. Some of them are heretics. Some of them are just kind of testing the waters a little bit. And, and they're not sure what to do with that. You can imagine any one of those new people could be the person that turns you into the authorities. You're going to start protecting. And that's where they're at. But it goes beyond just protecting themselves to judgment. And I want to talk about that judgment here in just a second. If you came here expecting Jesus to meet you, I want to share this with you. That I believe he will. And, and I don't just believe he will. I believe also that it could hurt a little bit. A little bit like going to the doctor. Anybody ever had a bone set? Like a bone that was broken and off and the doctor has to set it? I'll just tell you, it hurts. Ten broken bones from fourth grade to ninth grade. Friends, my spiritual gift is being clumsy. <laughs> Ten. My, anyway, that's a long story. Um, but getting your bone set hurts. Has to be, though, if you want it healed. How about anybody ever had an open wound that needed to be cleaned before they, they sewed it up? Before any healing happens, it has to be cleaned out. And it hurts. Like, that's just the way it is. We're going to ask God, as our great physician, to also apply his great medicine, and that by the power of God, we would be set free. Anything that's holding on to us, Anything that we're holding on to that is not of God, that he would set us free. That's the prayer. You ready? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. 
We thank you and we praise you. We ask Almighty God that you would do your work in this place at this time for your good glory. Lord, you created us with a purpose. And in that purpose, we have strayed. And so I ask, O oh Lord, that you would convict us of any sin uh, that we have. Any areas where we have strayed to the right or to the left and haven't followed you, help us, almighty God, to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And we ask God, as our great physician, that you would be, that you would be gentle. <laughs> Lord, I, I know that you are, but I'm asking, would you be gentle? Would even today, for those of us who you, you may be setting a spiritual bone or you may be uh, cleaning a spiritual wound, I, I ask, oh Lord, that as we walk out of here today that we would be able to go, uh, God met me. And yeah, it was uncomfortable and it hurt a little bit, but God met me and I'm better and I'm healing and I'm on this road of following Jesus and I'm excited about what Jesus is doing in my life and I'm growing and I want to lead others to you, oh Lord. Lord, help that to be our attitude even today for your glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Well, we are going to talk about something really fun today called judgment. <laughs> That's the goal. The Bible has a lot to say about it, and we often use it out of context. For example, don't judge, don't judge, lest you be judged. That's what we're told in Matthew chapter 7. But then Jesus says, uh, and the same way that you judge, you will be judged. And then he goes on to talk about uh, trying to remove a speck out of your brother's eye with a plank in your own eye. And then he says, remove first the plank, and then go to your brother and remove the speck. So he still calls us to remove the speck. Now, what does that mean of judgment? Well, in part, it means this, that God has given us his word and that in his word, we know what is right and wrong. If we are willing to look at God as our creator, he's given us the owner's manual, perhaps as a way of looking at it. In this owner's manual, we understand how God made us, why God made us, the purpose that God made us, and the direction God wants us to go. In his word, he's identified what is right and what is wrong, or in the, uh, in the garden, he said what is good and what is evil. And that we have a responsibility to follow him in those places. And as we follow him in those places, we recognize we're going to come up to these crossroads where discernment has to happen. Is this good or is this evil? What will I do with it? And we're going to have to, in part, make some judgments. That's not the kind of judgment that Jesus uh, is going to be talking, or I'm sorry, that Paul is going to be talking about in Romans chapter 2. Jesus also identifies a different type of judgment in uh, John chapter 7. The middle of the chapter, Jesus is talking, and what he identifies is a right or a righteous judgment. And in that, what he's talking about is not dealing with the surface, that's a perspective, right? Like, some, somebody comes in, and uh, maybe they're short with me, like they're just, hey, can you, and then just walk on. I'm like, ooh, that person's mad, that's surface. That, that person may be upset with me. Maybe they just got in a fight with their family before they walked in the door. There's a lot of things. That, maybe they, they uh, got here way early and didn't realize they had an extra hour of sleep. that they could have, I don't know. Uh, it's perspective. Jesus calls us to write judgment in that passage. But then we get to Romans. 
And in Romans, we're going to see something here that we go, well, what do we do with this? How, how do we not judge? And what type of judgment are we talking about? We're, we're going to outline that passage. At the end, we're going to talk about uh, some, some thoughts that will bring it all together as we enter into a time of communion. And when we go into the time of communion, uh, I'm going to walk us through a series of questions for examination of our own heart, asking the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God will do. And if you would be willing, we'll do it together. Uh, I've been, I'll just tell you, I've been chewing on this all week. It's been semi-painful all week, and it's fun for me to see you go through it. So, uh, I'm just kidding. It is not fun, kind of fun. But um, we're going to get in this together. We're in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 uh, is where we're going. And I want to start with this. Even though we're called in this particular passage to not judge, we are going to embrace God's judgment. The early church also wrestled with this very thing, and one of the theologians that came out was a guy named Origen. Not one of the apostolic fathers, but one of the early church theologians. And this is what he said. Indeed, I think that even if it were possible, no one, nobody should try to escape God's judgment. For not to come to God's judgment is not to come to improvement, to health, or to a cure. So what Origen is talking about is the sum of the scriptures of God. If you do what is right, these are the consequences, and they are good, and eventually they lead to eternal life. Or if you choose to do what is wrong, or if you redefine good and evil in your own definition, then there are going to be consequences, and those lead to death. So what do you want, life or death? That was what the early church said. There are two ways. One way leads to life, one way leads to death. What are you going to choose? And Origen is saying that God's word, his judgment is right. And his judgment is good. And his judgment, if we would accept it, when we start to steer off, it, it'll, it'll bring us back to where we need to be. Uh, that's Origen's idea of judgment. Now, in Romans chapter 2, as I said, we're going to get to a place where, where we see that we're not supposed to judge despite what I said Jesus said earlier. Why is that? Because this judgment is very specific. This judgment is about the wrath of God. Who deserves the wrath of God and who does not deserve the wrath of God? The immediate consequences, but also long-term. I'm talking about heaven, the favor of God, or hell, the wrath of God. That's what we're talking about in this passage. That is not my job. That is above my pay grade. It is above your pay grade to be able to judge and discern at that level. There is some, there are some uh, uh, fruit that we can identify, but discerning at that level is not what we're called to do according to this passage. Let's outline it. As we walk through uh, chapter 2, we're going to identify, first of all, the temptation that we all have to be the judge. And when we're, when we're tempted with that, let me explain what we're doing. We're saying, at this level, God, get off the throne, it's my turn. Never a good decision. But that's what happens. And we're all tempted to do it, and I would say that all of us, to some degree, varying degrees, have done it. Secondly, we're going to identify that God judges according to truth. As I said earlier, I, often we only get perspective. 
I, I only know, you know, like this much of the fact, right? Or the facts. But God knows everything. He can actually identify what is perspective and what is true. He, he can discern the attitude and actions of the heart rightly. I can't. You can't. Thirdly, God judges according to works. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about salvation. We're not talking about salvation. Are we talking about salvation? No. Are we talking about salvation, though? No. Are we talking about salvation, though? You guys, you got to help me. Are we talking about salvation, though? There we go. Okay, I was just making sure. Uh, we are not talking about salvation. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the believer. Ultimately, we're talking about the believer from our perspective, uh, the believer. And there, are, there is a responsibility for works, of which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And then finally, God judges without bias. Uh, he can judge right and wrong, even though he loves you deeply. He also can, uh, can pull out the actions and attitudes that are not godly and rightly discern that. Let's get into the word together. To do that, chapter 2, verse 1, starts with a word, therefore. Whenever you see the word, therefore, always ask, why is it therefore? Great question. This word, therefore, is there to connect chapter 2 with the end of chapter 1. What was going on at the end of chapter 1? That's, that's what is being connected to chapter 2. That's why it's therefore. So let's look at the end of chapter 1. Addressing the wrath of God. We, we read this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. If you have your Bible out, I'd encourage you to underline that. Uh, the idea is if you're not going to acknowledge God, if you're just going to compartmentalize God, set him off to the side, only use God for your benefit, then we are given over to a debased mind. And specifically, the way that this term is used, it means it doesn't work right. Some translations of this word in the ancient Greek would be worthless. It gives them over to a worthless mind. It's not working. It's broken. That's the idea. So God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. There's 21 things here that we'll see. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. But does that seem a little bit odd to you? Like on this list of murder, of evil, disobedient to parents. I bring this up to my kids a lot. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, 31. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, my question before we jump into verse uh, or chapter 2 is, are any of those true for you? As a believer, do you ever struggle with any of those things? Maybe it's just a moment, or maybe it's a season, or maybe some of these things are defaults that you go to when you walk in the flesh. Any of these, because what we're going to see, because of these things, therefore don't judge. We're going to see it in just a moment. So first of all, we do have to admit we're tempted to judge. We're tempted to go, you know what? I see the full picture here. God, you're not really doing your job right. 
So I'm going to ask you to step off the throne. I'm going to sit on the throne, and I'm going to do your job for you. That sounds really crass and awful, doesn't it? But that's what happens when, when we give in to this temptation. Here's what it says. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges. Again, we're not talking about the right and wrong stuff of the scriptures. I should do this in obedience to the Lord. I shouldn't do that in obedience to the Lord. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about judging about the wrath of God. Oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So when we judge, we are actually getting that same judgment, right? In the manner that you judge, you too will be judged, Jesus, in in Matthew chapter 7. That's what he said, and Paul is revisiting that same concept here. We have a temptation to judge. Don't do it. Now, throughout this passage, there will be a temptation beyond judging to walk in the flesh. It's called behavior modification. We do it often. Don't do this or else. Okay, I knew growing up that if the trash was this close to the top, I needed to take it out. Because if I didn't, there were going to be consequences from my mom. That's behavior modification. Okay, it's easier to just take the trash out than deal with the consequences. But we do that spiritually as well. What we're called to is based on spiritual transformation. I want to do this. I want to obey God because he was willing to die on the cross for my sins, because he loved me so much that he adopted me into his family, because he rose from the grave and extended life to me and his very seed indwells me. Because that is true, I I want to. Like, why would I not do that? That's a different attitude completely than avoiding consequences. Practice the very same thing. Uh, We have to be careful. Very careful. Let's look at the second point. God judges according to truth. So, here is an area that we may be different than God on. (laughs) Just one. There is an infinite number. But this is one of them. God knows truth. Absolute, complete truth. He can discern from the very intention of an attitude or action or even a heart desire. He knows it. He knows why it's going in that direction. Speaking of my mom, one of the things that she would say from time to time is this. Hurtful people say hurtful things. Anybody ever heard that? Hurtful people say hurtful things. Now, here was the point. That if there is somebody in my life that would say things that was mean-spirited, hurtful in general, it was probable that they too had been hurt. What I appreciate about that is that uh, my perspective changes a little bit from, oh, okay, we're doing this. I guess this is an argument to, you know what? This person is hurting. Maybe I can extend some mercy. Maybe I can extend some grace. God knows all of that. God has it wrapped up and we see it starting in verse two. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Underline practice. Why? Because Christianity does have action associated with it. Not behavior modification type of action, but spiritual transformation that becomes an expectation for the saints of God who practice such things. Verse three. Do you suppose, O man, 
you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And the idea here is, no, you will not. Uh, There are going to be some consequences to this sort of behavior, this sort of judgment. Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, God is holding back at times judgment on people. Sometimes God is holding back the consequences of behaviors on people. He's holding them back. Why? So, so maybe they'll know him. Have you ever been in this situation? I am doing, I am working so hard to do things the right way and I'm not getting anywhere. And this person who is clearly not doing things the right way seems to be getting blessed by God and that's not fair. You ever been there? Come on, you ever been there? Absolutely, we've all been there. Why is that? Well, I'm working hard and they're not. I'm trying to do things the right way, and they're not. And they're getting what I think I should be getting. That's not fair. Hmm. Maybe God knows something that we don't know. Maybe God holding things back is on purpose. And here we recognize that a part of the reason, perhaps, that a person is not getting the full judgment of God when they're not acting the way that they should be is that God is, is trying to let them know something. And, and that's that he loves them. And that's that he's calling them to himself. And maybe that not being able to sleep at night for this person, the spirit of God is moving in their hearts and helping them to recognize there, there's judgment for this type of behavior. On November 3rd, 1991, uh, I was not in a good place. <laughs> uh, I had been a, a part of a life uh, filled with hedonism, Uh, a part of life that uh, used deception to get what I wanted. I'm not going to go into all of the details, but I'll just tell you I was not in a good place. And I'll tell you this, that I knew I deserved uh, consequences. Some serious ones. On November 3rd, 1991, there was a pastor, and the pastor shared the gospel. And one of the things he said is that we're sinners And we need a savior and we can't save ourselves. And I remember sitting in the back of the church on that night and I just went, that that first part is true. You don't have to convince me I'm a sinner. In fact, I'm waiting for the other shoe to fall because there are some consequences to my behavior. And and I'm going to have to deal with that. And I'm not looking forward to it. You didn't have to convince me I was a sinner. The spirit of God was, was working. And he said, but you can't save yourself. First time I ever heard that. I thought it was, you know, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps. I thought if you want good things, then you should do good things, right? That night, he told me about Jesus being the Savior, the one who paid the price for me. Not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but rather a real sacrifice that God gave for me, really. There may be some consequences for my behavior, but ultimately, my soul is saved. There, Heaven is my reward. And I believed him. And I followed them. Uh, I followed that message to the front and I received Jesus as my Savior on November 3rd. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because of, partly because of this verse. I was waiting 
for judgment. I knew it was coming. God was holding it back. God was pulling back like, no, no, not yet. You know, you know, you know, you deserve that, Kenny. Yep, 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 yep. Wait, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So the next time that you're in the spot and you're doing good things all the time and the person next to you isn't, it may be time for us to praise the Lord because God's at work. He's doing something. You know there are some consequences for that behavior and God hasn't given it to you yet. That tells me that God might be at work and I'm going to praise God for it instead of gripe and complain and take God's seat on the throne and judge. That's what we're called to do. This is the second point. Uh, let, me, let me just hit this a little bit more because I do think this is important. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, there's a similar situation happening in Corinth that Paul is addressing. And uh, they're, they're surrounded by all this. These, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. Culturally, it's a mess. They're a group of people from different backgrounds doing everything that they think is right. And, and each group thinks that that group is wrong. And it, I mean, it's just a mess. And you talk about hedonism. It is alive and being celebrated in Corinth in a way that perhaps we're starting to experience now. And this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and it sounds like Paul is maybe even judging them, like, oh, okay, those people. But then he says something that I think we too have to embrace and recognize that maybe God is at work. And he says this, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. Revilers, murderers, stirrers of strife, meddlers, sexually immoral. Such were some of you. Let us not forget that. Let us not move to that place where we're judging someone's, uh, uh, God's work in someone else's life based on the exterior. Do we join them? No, that is not what I'm saying. Uh, do we do those same things? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to be cautious uh, when we get to that place where we're telling God, go ahead and get off the throne. I got this. And so God not only judges according to truth, he also judges according to works. That's that behavior modification, spiritual transformation piece that I'm talking about. If we're doing stuff so that we'll look good in front of others, might be an identifier that this is behavior modification. If we're doing something because it's just easier to deal with the consequences of not doing it than doing what we really want to do, then it may be an identifier that it's behavior modification. If, on the other hand, we are motivated to do these right things because birthed out of a relationship with God, a God who loves us, who cares about us, who is for us and was willing to save us, if, if it's birthed out of that, then that may be a sign that it's actually spiritual transformation that is occurring. And God is going to judge those works. Here's what it says in verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, uh, 
stop there, unrepentance. Okay, repentance is a part of the work of the believer. We still repent. What do we do? We're convinced that this thing that we're doing is wrong. It is out of a wrong motivation. Uh, It is not in obedience with following the Lord. We're convinced. And then we turn from that and we turn to God as an action. It's repentance. That's what it looks like. And it's still a part of the, the work of the believer today. Are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing, okay, now, now uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So you can kind of see the difference here. If, if motivated out of a, a walk with God, I, I, I want to experience the eternal things. I want to follow God with the eternal things, the things that are important. I, I, I want to invest in the kingdom to come. Like, like if that's the attitude, that's good. But if it's self-seeking, then we recognize that's not of God. Continuing on. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Now those consequences in some cases are immediate. We receive those on this side of eternity. But ultimately, it's the difference in heaven and hell. Are we going to be obedient and surrender to God and his work? Or are we going to be stubborn and unrepentant and do our own thing? That's the challenge at this intersection. Now, another piece that's very important that's identified in this passage is in verse 11, that God has no bias. God has no bias. For God shows no partiality in verse 11. God shows no partiality. Now, why does that matter? It matters for a lot of reasons. One of those reasons is we often think that when we are blessed by God, it must be because we're so good. God, you're welcome that I'm on your team. It's kind of that attitude, and we have to be so careful in that place. Uh, Listening to a podcast recently about a a big church that had an amazing impact on a very dark city in the West Coast. And then, as this church began to grow, the leadership started to say, hey, we see the blessings of God here. And it justified their behaviors. And some of those behaviors uh, were uh, taking advantage of people and situations. It was oppressive and abusive behavior from leadership uh, to staff and to volunteers. And ultimately what happened is the church closed. Part of the reason the church closed is because they had to remove the pastor uh, that brought them to that place. And part of the reason that they had to remove the pastor is because he was unrepentant. God shows no partiality. Despite the fact that God used that pastor, and perhaps uh, despite the fact that God has used you maybe even, or blessed you in certain areas, it doesn't mean that we're infallible. 
And what God can do is look into the heart and discern the attitude and actions of each individual. And without bias, he can say, I love you and I died for you. And what you're doing in this moment is wrong. And that behavior is wrong. And though I love you, there are consequences to that. That is what it means by God being able to show no partiality. Despite the fact that we may be feeling blessed, we may be feeling good, well, we, we may believe that we're even in a good place. We have to be really careful because God shows no partiality, especially as it relates to judging others with respect to the wrath of God. I want to uh, draw us together with some concluding thoughts. Here are a few. First of all, there's no excuse for passing judgment about another person's sin, connecting it to salvation. There's no way that person's going to heaven. Now, we recognize again that, that Jesus says, you will know them by their books. Nope, that's not it. You'll know them by their certificates. Yep, that's right. Nope. Uh, you'll know them by the church that they go to. That, nope, that's not it. You'll know them by their love, right? You'll know them by their works, their actions. So we recognize that there is a responsibility to, uh, for behavior, but that, that behavior uh, is motivated internally by a walk with the Lord. There's no excuse, though, for passing judgment because, as such, were some of us. Being impatient with God about another's sin shows contempt for the patience God shows towards me and my sin. Let me read it again. Being impatient with God about another's sin shows contempt for the patience God shows toward me and my sin. Oh, I keep praying for that person. Ever turn around. Oh, God, it's not fair. Mm, be careful. God was so patient with me. God was so patient with you. Do, do, we, do we want God to be anything less to those that we're praying for, those that we love, and more specifically, those that he loves? No. So we need to be careful. Being impatient with God about another's sin shows contempt for the patience God shows toward me and my sin, which, by the way, implies that I'm judging God. Never a good place to be. As I read the scriptures, in the end, he's still the judge, not me and not you. God shows no favoritism in his judgment of sin. Again, he's able to say, I love you. I don't love this about you. I don't love this action. I don't love this behavior. I don't love this response. Obeying the will of God is paramount. Obeying the will of God. Uh, sometimes in evangelical Christianity, we borderline on this, uh, I call it Christian Gnosticism, where we act like because we know stuff, that that's good enough. Uh, informationally, I know this, therefore I'm good. And it doesn't work out like that. Uh, according to the scriptures, we see that there is a responsibility to take that information that is implanted in our heart and that we work it out, uh, that we live that out. It, it should come in the form of some actions. Obeying the will of God is paramount. Hypocrisy incurs the judgment of God is the final uh, concluding thought that I want to share with us. That, that sort of judgment, 
it incur, or I'm sorry, that sort of hypocrisy incurs judgment from God. Uh, on the side of eternity, perhaps. Regardless, well, we don't want to be on that side of things. So we're going to move into a time of communion. And as we move into a time of communion, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they're, as they're coming forward, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through a set of questions. I mentioned earlier that we're, we're praying for the great physician, right? We want the great physician to do his work. And what we're going to be talking about, it, it may sting a little bit, and I recognize that. And we're going to ask God to just gently walk us through it. So I want you to know, first of all, you're in a safe place. There's no judgment from here to there, okay? No judgment. God's at work. God wants us to respond to him. And so I'm going to ask you to take a few deep breaths, get ready, buckle in, and let's go through some questions together. Here's the first one. Who are the people whose sin I tend to judge? Who are those people? Maybe you're thinking about, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody at work, maybe it's a neighbor. Who is that person that I, that I tend to judge as if they're outside of the ability for God to call them to himself, for God to redeem? Who is that? What excuse do I use to justify my judgment? Just sit in those questions for a moment. Have I confessed the contempt for God's patience that is produced in my judgment of others? Let me say it again. Have I confessed the contempt for God's patience that is produced in my judgment of others? In other words, that's called sin. When I have crossed over that line and I've taken God's his seat from him and I've begun to judge, I'm giving contempt towards God. That, that contempt towards God is that you're not doing your job. Have I confessed that as sin? Because it is. What are the areas of God's will that I know but do not currently practice? What are the areas of God's will that I know but do not currently practice? What has God called you to do through, through his word? Not just in prayer, I feel like maybe, but in his word, he states, do this or don't do that, and you're choosing to not do it, or you're choosing to continue to do something different. What spiritual practices or principles have I recently taught to others that I myself am not practicing? You really should read your Bible. That's a good idea. I should probably read my Bible. You really need to spend time in prayer. Oh, prayer is so important. Hmm, maybe I should spend some time in prayer. What are some of those things? If people could see my spiritual attitude, would they find it consistent or inconsistent with my public behavior? So if people could somehow see my spiritual attitude, would they find it consistent or inconsistent with my public behavior? Does my walk with God, does it show in my real world life? Finally, 
When is the last time I expressed genuine gratitude for God's mercy and grace in forgiving my sins? God, forgive me. Thank you for the love you've given me. Thank you for extending that grace and mercy to me. Thank you. Like, when is the last time that from a place of genuine appreciation and maybe even joy that we've expressed that? One of the practices that you've noticed that we've had over the last few months has been regular communion. The reason that we do that is is because it gives us an opportunity to interact with the gospel in a very uh, personal way. That we're sinners and need a savior. That Jesus came, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he conquered sin and death, that he rose from the grave and he gives life to anybody who would call on him. Communion is a time where we come together and we remember that Jesus did that, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. And one of the ways that we've expressed that is having different stations in the room that you can go to and get both the bread and the cup. And again, the reason that we have that, at least right now, the reason we're practicing it this way, is because we want to, in a public way, say, I'm I'm following Jesus again. Like, I want people to know that I'm, I'm about Jesus. I've spent my time going, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've allowed the Spirit of God to examine my heart. I've repented from sin. And I, I want to follow Jesus. And I, I want to follow Jesus with other people who want to follow Jesus. I'm in this. Like, that's why we do it that way. And so as the worship team begins to sing this song, I want to give you permission. There are four stations throughout the room. Feel free to go there as you, uh, as you respond to those questions that we just asked. And then at the end of this song, we're going to come together and participate.